Hey there, it's Chuck from Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation. It has been an insane few weeks, which is an understatement to say the least, since that could apply to the entirety of 2020, if not the last four years. I don't mean to lay my politics out there, but whatever your beliefs, 2020 can't end soon enough. Luckily, I was able to talk to the multi-talented Kemp Harris to bring a little light into this terrible year. Kemp is a quintuple threat. Quintuple? Yeah. Actor, songwriter, composer, singer, storyteller, and I am probably missing a few other talents in there. Kemp was a teacher in Boston for 40 years and has gone on to be a powerful presence on the stage from your local coffee shop to the box center stage. His open-armed and vulnerable approach to his work make for must-watch and must-listen performances. Kemp and I sat in an empty restaurant to talk about the current events, storytelling, teaching, living and performing your beliefs rather than poking the bear. That will make much more sense when you listen to this episode. As I was told by our friend Ralph Jackadine, Kemp is the real deal. So here is my conversation with Kemp Harris, recorded at Woods Hill Table in Concord, Massachusetts. There's a whole bunch of things I want to talk to you about, and it's been an interesting weekend, right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the election, you're our first guest that we've had since the election. About two months ago, right when Black Lives Matter hit the front page again with the murder of George, a, Floyd, of George yeah. Floyd, when I first started this podcast, I said to myself, okay, well, we're not going to be political. There's enough people talking politics out there, but blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And as we kept on talking to more and more people, it turns out that these people are human beings who, as musicians and artists, they have very strong feelings about, not politics, but social, their social issues, any kind of you know, organizations that they support. They're mostly liberal people, um, but they are all very passionate about it. And we ended up talking about that a lot. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, this, this, I can't. I can't not talk about these things. It's just, I, I'm kidding myself, right? So we put out a big announcement saying, you know, we support Black Lives Matter, we support LGBTQ, we support, you know, this is what we do. This is as musicians. Musicians are known for their um, their protests, for their social, you know, awareness. And this being, I think, a very, um, I mean, this, I, I've been a mess all week, or you know, I've been a mess all year. Well, yeah, it's it's been As, hard to get a break from it. It's yeah. like just a an internal angst that doesn't go away. Yeah, and, you know, it ebbs and flows, but it's it's there. Yeah, and not only that, but it's something that I realized I've had for four years. Yeah, because I've been made more aware of our government and what we are as a country. I've been made very aware of it through the news and through just through this this Trump administration. Anyways, my point is that I posted something on Saturday on the Above the Basement website. My social media people did, but I approved it, um, of a picture of President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris. We just said, congratulations. Nothing, we're not poking the bear or anything like that with it. Right, right. I thought it was very, you know, it was classy and, you know, not putting it in anyone's face. And I got some really angry posts about it. And, you know, and I expected it. I was like, should I do this? I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this because I got to suck it up and, you know, I got to do it. And one of them said, you know, I guess you don't 
you know, you're going to alienate some of your fans. I'm like, that's not, that wasn't my point. But my question is long winded question, long winded way yeah. to get the question. And I, and I think I know the answer, but I wanted to hear from you. What are your thoughts on artists coming out and supporting a political candidate? First of all, um, I can understand. I see more of a, not so much a political candidate, but a cause or an idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like black lives matter and things like that. What are your thoughts on that? As an artist, I, I mean, I, I grew up in the, uh, in the 60s and 70s and when folk protest music, you know, <laughs> was what was going on. And you had, you know, the music of Bob Dylan, you had the, like all this protest music was going on. So to me, that's what artists sort of always did through the whole, uh, you know, hippie movement and, and you know, and protesting the, the Vietnam War, all of that. That's what artists, I think, should be about. I think I, I try to express mine through my music and through my performance. I don't tend to do a lot of preaching about my political stance. I will certainly let people know where I stand, but I don't want to come across as preaching to them about what they should believe, what they um, should do. But I think when people come to see me play, that they kind of understand that I'm gonna be there trying to express to them my vision of this world that we live in. And I'm gonna just sort of hold up a mirror, reflect that back, you can look at it, you can look away, you can leave if, if it really bothers you, but, but as an artist, that's what I'm gonna do. What I, what I tend to not do is those to sort of get into uh, the sort of viral moments with people you know, about their politics. I'm not interested in, you know, in having that kind of confrontation with somebody. Um, I mean, I, I, even, I, was a, I was a Facebook rant fanatic. I mean, for the past three years, I was hitting the anger button, the, the dislike button. I was sharing, and I was, I was poking the bear. Mm. You know, I mean, I would see some things that were just designed to, you to know, do exactly like, that. It makes right? me feel good. I know it's going to piss you off, but I was, I was sending it out. I was poking the bear. Um, and then I, I have a friend, uh, Lydia Harrell, who's a fabulous singer and, and, and artist, and she said, you know, um, just, just keep putting it in your music. Hmm. And so I, I tend to write my politics when I'm when I'm uh, performing, and I I've sort of sort of come to the conclusion that I can't change everybody, but I do know that when I express what I'm expressing, that I, some people are hearing it and it's making a it's making a shift, it's making a change. And I and I have even had conservative people like I do this one piece it's a whole medley of songs and it starts out with America the Beautiful and then it goes into Elton John's border song you know so you you go from oh beautiful to holy Moses I have been deceived and you go through this whole then it goes to a new world coming ooh child things are going to get easier you did Love that in the, the ghost sessions right? yes yeah and, the, and the, from the Wang Center and I remember doing it at a, a show, and there was an older man there, and you could tell he was, I don't know what war he, he had participated in, an old veteran. And when I started, he stood up. And he, and he, I mean, it was hard for him to even get up, but he stood up, hmm. had attention, and he, and he put his hand over his heart. <laughs> and he listened to that, and then when I went into the rest of the piece, it was sort of like, oh, this isn't where I thought you were going to go. But he came up to me at the end and he said, you know, for a minute I got thrown, but I think I got what you were trying to say. 
because you started with America the Beautiful, you ended with that, but you had a whole lot of traveling in between. And, and I, you know, it's like he respected what I had done. Yeah. So I think as an artist, I have to put it out there. And people take what they will, you know, from that. Yeah, so I, I find that, you know, my, my art, I, I wear my political sleeve on my heart, when you know, as a performer. Um, I try to just sort of maintain... I'm in the world and I get it yeah. in, in, in the world because I just don't have the, the energy to fight with people that I'm not going to change anyway. Um, I, and I think also for me, it's like, um, because I, I was a teacher yeah. for like 40 years. And so the first class that I taught in uh, 1974, I believe they're like 51, 52 years old now. And, and you know, sort of through that whole span. So my oldest class, they're 52, and to my, you know, my last class 12 years ago. But they're, they're adults now, these yeah. kids that I taught in kindergarten. And, and I am amazed at how many of them have contacted me through Facebook or through my website or whatever. And to talk about things that they learned from me and things that they found important. Huh. And it's like, when you did this once, I don't even know if you were aware of it, Mr. Harris, but when you did this, this is how it affected me. Uh, I used to take my class every year, we'd go down to the gym and watch people vote. And we would just sit on the floor really? and watch them vote. So people would come in and there'd be like 30 kids sitting on the floor, you know, just eating a snack and looking at them. And they'd be like, well, it's kind of wild. But it, got to the point the poll workers knew who I was. They looked for my class to come in every year and they, and they would show the kids how the ballot machines worked and they loved seeing us. And I got a, a, a text from a former student. She worked, uh, she was big on the, the, the Ed Markey campaign, uh -huh. but she is a political activist and she works on campaigns and she texted and she said, do you remember when you used to take us to the gym and we would just sit on the floor and look at people vote? So I see that my effects come in different ways in, in terms of I, I didn't have to preach I don't have to do a march right now and, and, and for the people who who take on this incredible work of, 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 of protesting and and the the organizing and all of that I am in awe and inspired by them but I think everybody does what they do in the way that they can and so for me I look at the effect that, that I have on people through my music or through my um, storytelling well that's I think the at the very least <clears throat> Excuse me. Out of all this, all the the whole election, is the amount of people that came out to vote. Yeah, is is so so great. It, it's it was shameful how many people were voting before. I'll give uh, Trump credit in that he got people to the polls. Yeah, he certainly did. And I, and also so many of my friends and my friends' kids, they're on the phones. They're they're bank calling. They're yeah. uh, they're going to protest they're they know who their governor is they know who their mayor is they, yeah i mean they're really educated now and it's going to be really interesting i think maybe 30 years from now or 20 years from now to see these kids the, these kids that you used to teach who are now adults it's a whole new generation of kids who grew up with this kind of thing yeah it's gonna be really interesting i'd love to read a book about this to see what how they see um you know the knowledge of their government and and uh, and how involved they are. Yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping this sparked something because I think young people they are on it. They are like, listen, we want change. We can be a little bit impatient. We may not be doing it the ways that you would do it, you know, yourself. Mm -hmm. But we are just going to go, you know, gangbusters for it. So I'm really hopeful. I'm really hopeful that that young folks are going to 
make a shift. It's like I hope they come up with some kind of you know dilithium crystal age pill so I can be like 95 and, and look back and still see this. It's yeah. like I want to hang out long enough to see the fruits of this. And if not, you know, ah, well, buy my record and, and play that and tell your friends this guy used to inspire people. I don't know. Well, it's got to be so. It's got to be so gratifying to have a, an old student come up to you and say that to you. Oh yeah. It's I amazing. can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, I, it's now that you know they, they have kids of their own. Yeah, and so I'll get stuff. It's like you know, I, I I read that story that you wrote. I read it to my son. I I played um, just before COVID hit. I was out in San Francisco, mm. and I played on Leap Day, Feb 29th. I played this concert in San Francisco at at uh, Bird Studios. That's going to do. We have a live album of it coming out, but there was a a, a guy there. When he was in kindergarten, he walked in the first day. I had a skull of a cow or something on my desk. I didn't know where I'd gotten it. Yeah. He says, what is that? I said, I, I don't, what do you think it is? He said, well, I think it's a, a horse skull. I said, well, it could be. Maybe it's a cow skull. You know, we talk, talk, talk. Yeah. Um, last day when he's leaving fifth grade, his last day in the school, he's leaving. And I said, hey, Jeff, I got something for you. And I gave him the skull. He was like, what the f I can't believe this. Oh, wow. When I went out to San Francisco, he comes to the concert and brings a picture of his son sitting on a chair with the skull on the but on a bookshelf. Yeah. And it was like, okay, okay, I'm 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 still reaching. You yeah. Know, I'm, I'm still reaching, touching. He's so. telling his son. Yeah. This guy on stage here, he's the guy who gave me the skull. Yeah. It's like it's been in our family <laughs> since you were born, right? Yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. I love yeah, that. Yeah, so you know, so you, you do you do what what fits you, you know, you and you you contribute in the ways that, that you can. You know, it's interesting. You brought up Billy Conway. I was listening to Edenton, and there's a song in there, "Trying Time." Yeah. That I was like, <laughs> that sounds like you know, "Vapors of Morphine." I'm like, that sounds like a like a "Vapors of Morphine" song. It's very kind of you know, it's hard to explain the "Vapors of Morphine" sound. But I could totally see Billy Conley. Uh, yeah, he was he was engineering the session, and uh, we did that. And the funny thing about that album is we recorded a bunch, and I was really in good voice, and you know, and everything was very this clear. Two thousand seven, uh, two thousand six. I think 2006? it came out two thousand seven. Okay, and I was you know my voice was very clear, and everything sounded very clear. And and uh, my guitarist Josh Stoltz was, looks at me and he says, "I don't like it. It sounds way too pretty." Yeah, we went out. And we talked about the production, drank about a fifth of bourbon, and went back to the studio <laughs> the next morning early. And we laid everything down again. And there is so much gravel. Oh, yeah. And so much bourbon <laughs> sludge. But that song, Trying Times, it was like, someone said it sounded like a, a, a cross between Howlin' Wolf and Janis Joplin. Uh. Like if the two of them had gotten together and sang that, it was like, you know, I was like, okay, it's this is a different sound. It's my favorite but, song on the album. Oh, thanks. I, I like it. Thanks. Not, I'm not denigrating the other songs, but yeah, it's, I for whatever you. reason, I I just dug that, and I could totally hear Dana Colley's baritone sax on oh, it if he was playing. That would have been awesome. I could yeah. hear it. I can hear it on there if he, yeah, if he played it. Yeah. Um, so funny when I first heard it, it scared me. I, really? I was kind of like the sound of it. The, it was just like trying times your told men's soul, and it was like, wow, I sound like I'm possessed. <laughs> but then I kind of got into it. It was like I'm, I'm liking it. I'm liking the, the gruffness of it. It was a di very different album. When yeah. you play that, when you play that song live, do you try to recreate the oh, sound? Oh, we do it just like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, that, and the influence of that came from Josh, the guitarist. He was like, he was like totally 
did a left turn with me and turned me towards recording some blues stuff because yeah. my first CD was very different. Yeah. Um, it was it had a much prettier sound, and Josh was like, "On this one, I I want to just throw it to the wall." So yeah, I, I thank Josh for making me find the, the blues you know gut in me. Yeah. 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 It is interesting also when you talk about your voice because I was thinking about the way you sing. And to me, it's very, and I think it's because of your enunciation. You enunciate very well wow. when you sing. Okay. And so it, it seems to me like a, um, a mix between someone who does a lot of musical theater and someone who does a lot of storytelling. And that you want to. Did you know that beforehand? I knew that you did. Musical theater and storytelling. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Yes, uh, okay. but I was trying to figure out why, why does it sound so unique? And it is because you enunciate so clearly, and it makes it much more easy to hear you whatever message you're certainly yeah, trying to say. Yeah, um, Has anyone said that to you before? Have you ever thought yeah, about that? No, you, you know, that somebody else told me that they were sort of like, you know what, your, your, um, your elocution hmm. and your enunciation is, and I, I mean, I did musical theater, and so you had to do that. I think also, though, teaching... You yeah, know, I mean, being in front of kids every day and, and you're communicating all the time. But, uh, yeah, it's like for me, I sing different ways at different times. Like I might do like a folk song that is, you know, my voice is absolute butter. Uh-huh. And it's just, you know, and, I, and if, if it's the right day and I got enough rest, I can hit some pretty good high notes. <laughs> yeah. But the other part of me is, but if you're not feeling that, I mean, I know my voice well enough yeah. that I can take chances with it and I will go for something if it's not quite where I wanted it to be I'll just do some kind of a shift and come up with something different my voice is is an experimental instrument for yeah. me depending on what I'm doing and I, and I like experimenting with with sound and the way my voice sounds and what kind of tone am I going to put on um, for a particular song and, and I think because of the the acting in the theater it's almost like I see each song it's like a little theatrical performance. It's like a you know, if I'm doing, um, yeah, it's like if I'm doing um, that song, "Invisible," you know, it's, uh, it's like a, uh, you don't, you, people don't see you in this country. They don't see you a black man in this country. Sometimes you're just invisible to them. Mm. And so when I do that, I just take on this character. It's like you know, uh, Ralph Ellison's "Invisible Man," and part of it is uh, uh, Al Jarreau's song called "You Don't See Me," mm-hmm. and you're and you're like you're starting to growl at people. And, and my favorite part is when I get to go, um, I keep looking for you, I don't see you nowhere. I'll beat your mama, I'll beat your daddy, I'll go to jail. It don't make no motherfucking difference what happens to me cause I'm out here trying to show you the Black Lives Matter. And people are like, okay dude, you're scaring the fuck out of me. <laughs> yeah, but but you, you get into that, yeah. you take on that character and you deliver that song cause that's the message that you had to do for that piece. And then you turn around and I'll do something like, I like the way that Joni Mitchell runs her words so close together. And it's this beautiful piano thing. And it's like, he's not on drugs at all. <laughs> he's just a regular guy. <laughs> he's not crazy. So, yeah, I, I, I do see it as um, the, these little moments of you, you, you take on a character almost to do this thing. And it doesn't make it, like, put on. It just means you allow that thing that was in you to come out and do this thing for this while in the song. And then you go back in and become something else. So, yeah, I just have a ball when I'm performing. I do. I have a good time. So what interested me about you was, you know, what's I don't know what it would be called, a quintuple threat? I mean, with (laughs) with the acting and the music and... The storytelling and you writing music for for Evan Alley and when you approach a project, do you are you tapping into all these different things? Is it do you think about it that way? Is it or is it just kind of um, like you know it, it's 
It's odd, I think, because I was born in in the South. Yeah, like a segregated. You were born in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, North Carolina, Edenton, and it was a segregated little town. And I think that I. You internalize some of that. I remember those signs. I remember, you know, for colored this and, and white people this. And and part of, I think, what that did for me is that as a kid, I was always trying to be seen. I was always trying to be noticed. I always mm. felt like I was like this kind of like sort of introspective person. Um, people are now like, oh, dude, you're the most extroverted person I know. <laughs> you, you you can just chat with anybody and, and I can do that. But it's something that I learned how yeah, to yeah. do. But I am on my own. I'm a pretty introspective and like, you know, pretty introvert. Not introvert, but I'm not that I'm not that guy. But I know how to do that thing. And so then you have this fine line of are you are you acting all the time hmm. or you take on a project and what's in you is just allowed to come out. And I think it's more that I never feel when I'm performing, I never feel that I'm doing this to make you do that, get this reaction. I'm always aware that people are watching me. I'm aware that people see me, but what I'm doing is it more just like letting out what's in me out. It doesn't mean I'm gonna act and put this on for you today. It just means I'm gonna take that filter off mm. and I'm gonna let you have this, you know, in, in this moment because this is what this moment needs. And so, yeah, it's sort of a, a sense of looking at a, a new project as one, wanting it to be good, wanting it to be quality music or whatever it is I'm doing, but also what, what is my expression? What is my, what do I want you to take away from it? And I try to perform in such a way that I'm, I'm letting you see exactly what I am meaning by this and, uh, and hopefully you get it, you know, yeah. hopefully you get it. What? So far, I've been real lucky. Yeah, I've been real lucky, blessed with, with people's reaction to what I do. Yeah. Do you try and keep up with each part of you? In that, like, you know, you try to do an acting project here, a music project here, you try to write for somebody, you try to... Yeah. No, that sort of all just rolls that all, just comes all together. Comes. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, like the, the person that I did the Alvin Ailey piece for, yeah. um, his name is Dwight Roden, and he heard uh, this song that I wrote called Goodnight America. Uh-huh. And... Uh, we had done the the collaboration years ago for for the Alvin Ailey company. He now is uh, co-director for a company called Complexions, and he texts me about a week ago, and he goes, "I just saw your episode on the Wang Center. I have to do Goodnight America. We'll figure out, you know, like, you know, what, but I want to do it as a duet. Uh, when we can do it safely, I want you to come to New York, and I want you to do this live with the dancers, and so things just sort of roll, and things just sort of come, you know, for me, and so I, I don't, I don't really look at how I'm going to do a project, it's just um, more so, this is what we're going to work on, whether I'm collaborating with, you know, other people. I know that my, my experiences as a teacher in communications comes through when I'm working with people because I've, you know, I've managed so many different personalities in one day. I mean, as you're a teacher, you're, you're like on all day long. So you, you manage how to, you, how to interact with people, how to give that give and take with people. My storytelling it's like when I perform, it's like I, I'm telling little stories. A friend of mine said, you know what? At the end of the day, you're just an old black man telling stories. I was like, absolutely. That's exactly what I am. But that's, that's in me as well from uh, my days of, of teaching, my days of uh, just interacting with people. So I, I get interesting things to do. Looking at some of the pictures that I've seen of you, you're very open. There's a lot of People can't obviously see this, but there's a lot of your arms are behind you. Your arms are yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. 
which is very vulnerable. There's something for whatever reason when you when you put your arms out like that. Yeah. You're much more vulnerable than if there are they're they're in like this. Yeah, you know what's funny about that too though? I know that that um in my mind I'm seeing Joe Cocker and I'm seeing Janice Joplin throwing <laughs> yeah. hair and I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing what I saw as a kid when I was watching music and I, I, I went through my rock and roll phase. I went through, a, you know, of course you had your rhythm and blues, you had, but I was like country music, um, opera music. I liked it all. I was in acapella choirs in high school. Yeah. And so for me, it was, it was that sense of performing. Um, and, but in a way, and it's weird, I was always performing because I wanted to, I wanted people to like me. I wanted to do this thing and have people appreciate it and like me. It's almost like, you know, it's like if you're not sure if you're enough, but this will be enough, you yeah. know? And so it's, it's that one of those, you know, those internal psych battles that we all go through with ourselves. And, um, and, and I, you know, I don't need psychotherapy. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but it was that sense of, I need to do this because it's bigger than me. And so when I'm on stage and I'm doing that thing, I mean, I am living out so many cool fantasies that I've just kind of internalized that they're not even put on anymore. It's like, and if I do huddle that mic, and if I just slide down the mic and, and, and just kneel on the floor while the guitarist is doing a solo, and then when he's done, crawl back up the mic. It's 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 part theater, but it's also just part life and what I do. Yeah, you know what I well, do. Well, you're yeah. you're emoting. You're yeah. you're putting yeah. out. Yeah. This is the way I'm feeling, and you're yeah. putting it out there. Are you comfortable doing that? Yes. Very comfortable. In fact, it's so funny that um, like people go, oh, you know, if you did theater, you could be a comedian. It's like, you know what? I am funny when I'm just hanging out. But if you go now get on stage and be a comedian, <laughs> yeah, that's a, a whole different that's thing. That's very different. So it's just like who I am. And my sister, you know, she says to me all this because I do a lot. I'll grab my head a lot when I'm playing. It's a bald thing, too. And maybe it is. I've rubbed all my hair that. off. And also it's just so damn dramatic. But uh, <laughs> And she'll say to me, why do you keep pushing back hair that you don't have? I'm like, because I'm being Janis Joplin, God damn That's it. That's right. You know? <laughs> Sometimes I go like this, I, just for the hell of it. I, for some, I do find, I'll rake my fingers, so it's like, you know, is that some kind of like, like white high school boy envy? <laughs> I don't know what's happening here, but... Uh, you know, we're we're just far more evolved than anybody else. That's, there it is. That's what it there is. There it is. I wanted to talk to you about the Ghost Light series. So mm. I know I know Joe Spaulding very well. Mm. And we, we actually do a, a separate podcast. We run hiatus now, but we were doing um, for his Folk Americana Roots Hall of Fame. Okay. We started a yeah. Hallways podcast for him. And when COVID hit, that's when we stopped doing it. But I remember Joe telling me, he's like, you know what? There's something called a ghost light. You ever hear of a ghost light? And he told us about it. It's, how, it's the light that they put in the theater to right. make sure ghosts are away and to keep the light on. And uh, it's a great, I love that idea of it. And he said, we're really excited. We're going to film it. And so I have I've, a couple of people that we've known. I know Mark Arelli did one. Uh, I know Chuck McDermott did one. Uh, and you just did one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it, when when did you do that? Back in I, August, I filmed on um, August thirty first. Okay, and it came out I think like October, just the beginning. Yeah, of not October. too long ago. But yeah, but I filmed. I went in with um, my drummer right. Jim Lucchese, and it was amazing to walk into that space. First of all, Joe Spaulding is incredible. He's Great guy. awesome. But to walk into that place. Nobody else is there, you know, four or five people, and you stand on that stage and you're and you're looking at thirty five hundred empty seats and yeah. the theater is gorgeous. Yeah. And also it was the same stage that I had seen my friends in Alvin Ailey dance. You know, the piece that I had written and I had brought my mother to see it and I'm looking at the balcony where I sat with my mother and so I was just flooded with 
wow, the many times I've been in here and to, to stand on the and the sound when I was playing, the, the, the acoustics of that room, it was nuts. Yeah. And I just felt... It's um, an empty room. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was one of the most surreal experiences that I'd had to be sitting there. And, and when I saw it, you know, when yeah. I saw the, the, the video... It, it, it really stunned me. It, it did. I, that was one of the coolest things that I've gotten to do in a while. Yeah. You know, my sister, when she was a little girl, my little sister was a, uh, one of the reindeer in the Wang Center Nutcracker. Okay. It was, I don't know, some kind of big event. We had to wear tux and everything. And so we were able to go backstage, and it was really cool. I was, I don't know, I was 20 something people don't realize how big that backstage is <laughs> i know it's like a it's like a couple gymnasiums it's huge yeah because they have all the sets back there that's where all the people are but you just think it's just you know if they've ever been maybe in, in a high school auditorium maybe that's what they remember but when you go back there it's really enormous and between the enormity of the stage and all the curtains are back right and the enormity of these empty seats which are which are lit up too. Right. Yeah. So you have all these red, gorgeous seats and the different tiers. Gold leaf is everywhere. And yeah, yeah, it's gorgeous. Did you feel butterflies as if there was an audience? Did you feel something different? Having even though you, you know, were playing it's in front so of an empty weird. Audience? I didn't feel there was an audience. I really felt the enormity of me playing in that empty room. Yeah. Um, and I, I did say to Joe though, you know, when when the other side of COVID comes. You want to have me back to That's do a right. concert, you know? It's like I expect to be but, um, asked back for the full But house. it was almost for me. It was almost um, I appreciated the fact that I got to sit there, right, on that stage. We knew with Jim and uh, when I did solo pieces, or whatever. But I really appreciated that I was I was dwarfed by this huge place, but my music filled it up. Yeah. But you also yeah. went downstairs. Oh, we did a place in the, the uh, cultural the Hall heroes. Of heroes. Yeah. yeah. Oh. That was by fluke because we had done the entire filming. We go downstairs, we're getting, you know, signing out, and hey, Joe, thanks a lot. And Jim, my drummer, says, um, could we just try something while we're here? And Joe's like, sure. And so we started doing that piece, Ruthie's, and, and I've done it where it's like with guitar and piano, but we also did this stomp, spontaneous version of that we had done before for uh, Edenton. And I'm standing there, and I've got these, these huge buses of heads yeah. around me and I'm looking at all these incredible artists on these buses around me yeah. and Jim's banging on a table right. and then he started kicking one of the pedestals that had a, you know one of the big heads on it and, and at, for a half a second when I was singing I heard this sound and I thought it was like a subway and I was almost going to stop to go oh should we stop and I looked and I saw Jim's kicking the bottom of the thing and I'm like oh my god if the head of this guy falls off this pedestal that's going to be my last time it'll invited be, to the way. It'll be but, on film. Yeah, but it'll be on film. Yeah, <laughs> it'll go viral. But uh, yeah, but we did that, and Joe absolutely loved it. Yeah, he's he been trying to get people down there it. to yeah to play and everything. It's it's an amazing it's an amazing room. We were there for the uh, Club Pessim 60th anniversary. Okay, um, which I guess was almost a year ago. Okay, I can't believe it. It was there. It was there. Wow. Well, no. So they had a um, a pre party. And then we went across the street to, no, what's the, the, the Schubert? The Schubert, yeah. And that's where Joan Baez went up there and she danced and everything. And then oh, wow. afterwards, me and my, my co-host were able to interview Joan, who's just phenomenal, unbelievable woman, um, and Betsy Siggins from Club Pessim. Because they're like best buddies, right? Wow. So we did okay. it right there, right where you were, right where you were uh, singing. 
Wow, um, that's amazing. Yeah, it was an, that was an amazing night. Yeah, that's great. A lot of people don't know about the uh, the Hall of Fame there, and uh, so I know that you know COVID came at the worst time for, for them as they were just kind of trying to get that off the ground. But uh, it'll be back. Yeah, it, it, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be good to be able to go back to these places, and we may have to do it differently. Yeah. You know, it may be, uh, you know, I mean, with, with the different kind of precautions or, or whatever, and I'm sure theater is going to be different, in, you know, in the future as we go on, you know, because, I mean, we get a vaccine and, you know, that something else comes up. I don't know. We, we have yeah. no idea. But we'll just learn to how, how can we do art yeah. in this environment and make it work. And, and I, I know we will. But, yeah, but though that place. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. How did COVID affect you? <sighs> Were you about to tour or anything like that? Were you? Yeah. Well, you know what? Something? I had a bunch of cool things set up. Yeah. Um, the week I came back from uh, when I was out in San Francisco to do that show. When was it that? Was, you were in it March? was uh, it, right February? at the end of February. February. Okay. And and it was just there was just beginning to be this buzz. You know, it's because I'd gone out there and I did a storytelling gig at a school. I did this gig. Um, we got a guitarist and a bass player that we had never met before. Sent them tracks ahead of time. We get there. These guys had nailed it. With one rehearsal, they had nailed it. And so I'm like, whoa. But there were these murmurings. Of, uh, the people we're staying with were like, yeah, you know, my boss is saying that people aren't going to be able to come in. And mm. we're like, well, what is that about? Yeah. It was just starting. And then I got back home, and I did one more show at Amazing Things out in Framingham. Oh, yeah. And that was the last show that I did, like, a, you know, with a full-on band. Um, but I had a gig that was scheduled at the Gardner Museum. Oh, really? Opening for the Hamiltons. Really, I was like, and you know, the posters were up, and it was like I've never seen a, I've never seen a performance there. Oh, I bet it's have gorgeous. you been in that room? Of course. And and they, where what room was it in? It, it was that new pavilion. Oh, the pavilion the, upstairs. Uh, it, or was it, it in the same floor? It's it's, it's in the it's in the new building. You walk up some stairs, but it's like it's like all red. Oh and, yeah 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 okay yeah. So it was up the stairs. And uh, they had like I don't know. It looked to me like a fourteen foot Steinway or something. Oh really. There. And, um, you know, I'm walking around with the person who's setting it up for us. And I looked and I was like, do I get to play that? <laughs> and she went, of course. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I'm like, dude, I'm going to open for the Hamiltons. We're going to blah, blah, blah. Canceled. Oh, we, and no. things just started getting canceled and canceled. It, the, the live streaming, though, is sort of, yeah. I mean, I've, I've gotten to do a bunch of that. Like I well, did you did our stream. Together at Home sessions, which yes. we're appreciative yeah, of. They, yeah, that's awesome. That was great. And I did a, a live stream from Passim's uh, about yep, a month ago. I remember ago. that. They've been nonstop at Passim. Yeah. And it's when you go impressive. there, it was amazing. You know, the tables are up, you know, the chairs are up on tables. And so you have Matt and you have Abby yeah. there. And they got the, the stuff set up. And I, I played to Matt and Abby. I mean, I did my whole, and I, we were chatting, the, like it was a living room. Yeah. And so it had this real relaxed feeling. I remember one time turning to the band and saying, I don't know about you guys, but I'm having a fabulous time. <laughs> you know, COVID, yeah, but you know, this is cool, just sitting here playing with Matt and Abby. But um, I'm going to be uh, on, on next Thursday, the 12th, at the Charles River Museum. Oh, yeah, yeah. They have that series going on. Um, Mark Arelli just played there. Okay, yeah. Um, and yeah. But it looks like a really cool stage. Oh, the, it there. looked incredible. So yeah. I was like, uh, they're like, so we'll, we're going to take care of all, you know, COVID precautions. There's going to be a three camera setup. Yeah. And we're going to set this. And it was like, wow, this is cool. So I'm, I'm having a good time. And I think uh, with, with the storytelling that I'm doing, I realized that I my life has changed in terms of just how much I'm out and how much I'm playing. But outside of the going out to play, my life is pretty much, you know, kind of what it was. I wear a mask when you go out to the store and stuff. Yeah. I, I'm not missing 
a lot. I, I miss restaurants. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, we had, the, there's a place in uh, Central Square called Viale, and we'd go there because they had dollar oysters. Uh. I, I miss restaurants, and I miss being able to play with the full band. Yeah. We've done a lot of more smaller shows. I'll do a, you know, a duo or a trio or that kind of thing. Or we have one show coming up in April, and they said, we just want one singer. And it was like, okay, so there won't be any backup harmonies on this show. But uh, <laughs> So it, it, it definitely has affected me but I I am and and sometimes I feel a little not guilty that's not the word but I really am doing okay yeah we really are doing okay it's like you know Bill and I my husband and I we sort of look at each other like we're we're pretty lucky yeah because I know there are some people who are not right making it you know and and that it's been really really difficult but you know we're doing okay it's like you know I taught for 40 years and I've got a pension that's okay and I, I and I try to remember that a lot of people are not. Yeah. I had a, a show that I put on. Um, I was trying to reach out to private homeowners mm-hmm. to see if I could get some of the musicians that I know to go play some house concerts. Now, not indoors. It was over the summer. It was over the summer, like late August anyways. So we set up a tent. People were separated and everything. And people were just like, I had no idea how much I missed live music. And even, it, we did it with Susan Catania. You know Susan? Yeah. yeah. So su- she did it. She started crying. At the wow. end of it, she's like, this is so beautiful to be able to go and sing for people again. I didn't. Yeah. Re- you just don't realize how much that connection yeah. is important to you until it's gone. People are, are really craving that. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see once people can start gathering more safely. It's going to be really interesting to see how how that works. And I think it's going to be a boom. Yeah, I know that some of the uh, folks out in, um, in Norwood, like out of the fallout shelter, Steve Cote who was the bartender at the fallout shelter. Yeah. Uh, he has like a backyard series. He has this huge backyard. And, and I think that some concerts have gone on even, you know, like in the recent times where they're really spaced out because the yard is huge. But it is exactly that. He has a tent set up and the mm-hmm. band, you know, plays on the tent. And so it, it's, people are, are beginning to try to venture in how can we do this? And so some things are happening. You yeah. know, I, I had opened recently in Ogunquit, Maine. I did a, an opening for Livingston Taylor. Huh? And it was at a place called Jonathan's. And they had, you know, tables completely spread out. There was a rule that if you were away from your table, you had to have your mask yep. on. They were back from the stage. It was just, uh, I was doing solo on piano and Livingston was solo, so there was no band. There was mm-hmm. none of this. And it was so nice to get up on a stage, play this beautiful grand piano, and have people there clapping and yeah. you know and, and hoping and joining in on singing songs that they knew or whatever so yeah we we miss that we it's miss not that. quite the same when you're doing it on zoom and you would oh. just assume everybody on the other side of that camera is clapping yeah. but you, yeah. you don't you yeah. don't know <laughs> in um, fact i did one cause i was sort of like is anybody out there are you liking <laughs> this yeah, are you clapping? And yeah, see I hope you're clapping. They saw more of my tonsils because I was up at the screen trying to see what, you know, because you know, me and technology, the struggle is real. Oh, you know, well, so. Believe me, I mean, when we first started doing that together at home sessions, it was tough going because not, no, not many people had done it. Not many people were used to it. Yeah. Like playing in front of a camera, is, that's not natural. Yeah. But as the summer went on, people got better and better at it. And now people are, you know, now it's like, oh, piece of cake. And now they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I can storytell now. And I look at that green light on my computer. Yeah. In my mind, I look at it as a person. Yeah. So as I'm telling the story, it's like, I'm, and, you know, it's like, I, I feel like, dude, you are 
talking like really nicely to a green light. But it's like I, I pretend it's a person. So well, I imagine I, it's I've like a newscaster eye... looking at the camera. When right, yeah. You, right? <laughs> but I've got the eye contact going on and I got the whole, I'm working it. It's a skill. Yeah. You got to learn how to do that. Um, so what's what's next for you? What are you what are you doing? I am um, really interested in composing more. Yeah, and I'm interested. In, I, oh, I, I started this project. The Globe had done this article. It was called "Odes to Joy," and they had asked like about twenty Boston area musicians yeah. to just write a poem around you know the Beethoven theme "Ode to Joy" and whatever. And and uh, uh, they had like a lot of um, uh, Patty Larkin. Uh, did did this and so I and I'd written this poem and it was uh some will win and some will lose that's the way it goes when looking for the only joy in town so to all the joy we lost and to all the joy we found it's Christmas in America anyhow because my feeling was it it, it whatever goes on it will still be Christmas in America anyhow and yes. so in this year it seemed particularly crazy to me and, and and when i thought of christmas in america it wasn't like to to take away from any of the other celebrations of light that happened but that in this country after all that we've gone through for the past three and a half years four yeah. years we're going to have thanksgiving and it's going to be christmas and people are going to sing jingle bells and, and in spite of all that we've done it's going to be christmas anyhow so i put out this challenge of i recorded this song because i put it to music and I put out, listen, if anybody else out there wants to write a prelude to it or, you know, something after, if you want to do a spoken word that comes into this piece, let's collaborate on it. And I'm starting to get um, collaboration.